Well, a couple things uh, here by way of announcement. Um, if you are not in a small group yet, uh, you need to get into a small group. You need to get into a small group. Uh, you need to be in relationship with your brothers and sisters. You need to have a group of people who can be an encouragement to you, who can do life with you, who can pray with you, who can, if necessary, confront you uh, in a loving way, speak, speaking the truth in love to you. You need to get yourself in a small group. Uh, I've got a bunch of openings in mind. Uh, we meet Thursday nights at uh, 6.30. Uh, we go 6.30 to 8 on Thursday nights. Um, and, uh, and it is a lot of fun. It is worth your time. It is a, a good experience. It is good for your spiritual growth in life. So uh, get yourself into a small group. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention, uh, many, many of you know, I think hopefully all of you know, that I will be going to Congo again. Uh, the the uh, DR uh, Congo in October, and um, at this point that tr- that trip is fully funded, uh, which is a big praise and great thanks to God on that. Uh, but part of the way that that was funded is through the church mission trip fund, and if you would like to um, contribute to that for future trips, uh, either by me or by others here in the church. Uh, uh, I know Stephen is planning to take a trip next year to Indonesia, and part of the way that that trip gets funded is through the Church Missions Trip Fund. So if you would like to contribute to that, certainly encourage you to do so. Uh, and in the meantime, to pray for me, as uh, my health has not been good. Um, shingles are the gift that keeps on giving. Um, and you can cross it off of your Christmas list if you have it on there. Uh, you do not want this. It would be something Santa brings you. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, do pray for my health. Pray for my family as I'll be gone for about 10 days. Um, and uh, look forward to that. So let's pray and then let's get into Romans. Okay? God, our Father, we thank you that you are marvelous and abundant in your grace to us that your grace is all-sufficient for every need, every day, for all time. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see clearly your great grace even more as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, here's a question for you. How wide is God's mercy? How wide is God's mercy? Is, Is God saving a just a narrow slice of the world or is God's mercy capacious does it embrace the entire planet and invite all of them to repent and to receive salvation which is it uh, some of you may suspect you know the answer to that question, but I want to base the answer that we give on what, on what uh, the Lord Himself has to say to us. And Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 5 to 13, give us a marvelous answer to this question. Uh, so I want to open up God's Word and see what He has to say on this. 
what his answer is. And this is what the Lord says to us through his apostle, beginning verse 5. Uh, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, I want to back up just a, just a second here and, and clarify something, explain what Paul is doing. Um, you ever wondered why Paul constantly quotes the Old Testament? As you read Romans, especially, especially in chapter 9 through 11, uh, Paul is constantly alluding to and quoting his Old Testament. Constantly. And it is because he is trying to help his readers understand, and we are among them, that Christianity is not a new religion. It is not a new belief system. It is not new. It is nothing more and nothing less than true Judaism. And what Paul is trying to convince us of is that if David or Isaiah or Abraham or the prophets or even Moses himself were around in Paul's day, they would be Christians. Because here's something that you need to know, y'all, uh, especially in a day when, when we are constantly bombarded with new interpretations and new understandings about uh, what the Scripture says. Let me just make it very clear for you. It rhymes. You can remember this, okay? If it's new, it is not true. And if it's true, it is not new, Okay? If it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. There is nothing new under the sun, according to the Scriptures. God's truth remains the same from generation to generation, and it has not changed. Amen? Because God Himself has not changed. And so therefore, His Word is not up for debate. And if you claim to have new insight into the Scriptures, you better find somebody else who agrees with you, or you are a false teacher. Okay? Because the testimony of the Scriptures is consistent all the way through. And so Paul is concerned constantly to quote the Old Testament to show that what he is saying about Jesus is not something he came up with on his own. And so he goes back to Moses, and look at verse 5 here. Uh, he, says, he says, for, and the for there at the beginning says that Paul is drawing a conclusion from the previous verse, in which he has just told us, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So verse 5, he's explaining a little more. And he quotes Moses from Leviticus. How many of y'all did your devotional reading in Leviticus this year? All right, be honest. All right, none of you. All right, that's what I thought. But Paul, as a Jew, knew Leviticus, right? And here he's explaining what the commandment says. And what the commandment says is this. If you keep the commandments, you gain eternal life. 
If you keep all of the Old Testament law, you can gain eternal life. Is that true? Yes. It absolutely is true. If you keep all of the commandments, you can gain eternal life for yourself. Now, what's the problem with that? You can't keep the commandments, <laughs> right? Not only can you not keep them, uh, you don't even want to keep them all, right? Which is why, which is why there's provision for sacrifice, right? And as you read Leviticus, you'll discover there's all these different kinds of sacrifices, guilt offerings and thank offerings and sin offerings and burnt offerings and grain offerings and wine offerings and first fruits offerings and so forth. And all of those offerings are meant to deal with the fact that you cannot keep the commandments. And he is telling them this, that the law itself tells you that it doesn't work as a means for gaining righteousness. Because in trying to keep the commandments, you realize how far short you fall of keeping the commandments. And you realize your deep need for grace. And he's quoting Moses to the effect that if you keep all the commandments, you gain life to remind you that you can't keep all the commandments. And you're in a deep problem because if that's the way that God provides to gain life, no one is going to gain life. Amen? You need a different way of righteousness. So verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, who will go down into the abyss. Again, this is a quotation from Deuteronomy. Uh, these verses, uh, verse six through eight, are a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter twelve. I mean, chapter thirty, verse twelve through fourteen, where God speaks about what He requires, and that how what He requires is not too difficult, because you do not have to ascend into heaven or descend into the realm of the dead. Why not? Because God Himself has already done these things. God has already sent Christ down from heaven, so we don't need to go up to heaven to get Him. Amen? And we don't need to go down into the realm of the dead to bring Christ up from the dead. Why? Because God has already raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? And so we don't need to do anything. And what we... And what we need to do is not impossible like these things, right? How many of you have ascended to heaven lately, right? None of you. How many of you have gone down into the realm of the dead and come back? Uh, none of you, right? And so you can't actually do those things, right? But God has done them in Christ. He has descended from heaven and ascended from the grave, in order to achieve your salvation and mine. And the point is, is that God is not asking us, therefore, for the impossible, because He has already done the impossible in saving us through Christ. And more than that, He has brought salvation near to us. Just as Deuteronomy said, that's verse 8, that, that God's 
that God and his salvation has not held it out of your reach, but he has brought salvation near to us. He has put it in your mouth and in your heart. Just like, excuse me, just like Deuteronomy said and just like Paul preaches. And if you look at verse 8, I want you to underline this little phrase, the word of faith. What's the word of faith? It's the good news of the gospel. That a person who uh, believes and thereby receives eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. The word of faith that you embrace is putting your trust in what God has done through Jesus Christ on our behalf. God has already done everything necessary for us to receive salvation. All we have to do is believe in Jesus. That's it. There's not like another long list of stuff. All you have to do is put your trust in Jesus. It is not put your trust in Jesus and become a St. Jude runner. That might be a good thing, might be good for your health, might raise money for a bunch of kids with cancer, but it's not necessary for your salvation, right? It is not believe in Christ, oh, and get baptized. Should you get baptized? Absolutely you should get baptized. But is it necessary for your salvation? No. Is it get baptized, is it uh, uh, believe in Jesus Christ and give a bunch of money to the church? No. Should you give? Absolutely. But is it necessary for your salvation? No. What is necessary for your salvation? The word of faith. Putting your trust in Jesus. That's it. That's it. There's no more. God has already done everything necessary. All you must do is believe. And just in case anybody misunderstands this, Paul gives us five verses that make it really, really, really clear. Okay? Uh, you ought to memorize some of these. Uh, verse 9 through 13. Let's look at it together. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verses 9 and 10 are probably some of the most famous verses in the book of Romans. And if you are a Christian, you should memorize them. You really should. Because they make it really easy to share the gospel with somebody. When they, when they say to you, well, tell me what is at the heart of Christianity. These two verses are at the heart of, the, of Christianity. They are the, 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 a great explanation, exposition of the gospel and what is necessary in order to be a Christian. That you, that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is, is Lord, that He is God, that He uh, died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. Okay? Um, 
Paul, and by the way, Paul ties the mouth and the heart together in these verses. Why? Well, because Deuteronomy, verse 8, that he quotes from Deuteronomy, ties the mouth and the heart together, right? The word is near you, it is in your mouth, and it is in your heart, right? So Paul says, well, yeah, your mouth and your heart are tied together in the gospel. Because why... Let me ask you this, okay? If I take one of these little communion cups and I spill it on the floor, why does grape juice come out? Because grape juice was in the cup, right? Because what was in the cup was grape juice, right? So when things come out of your mouth, why do they come out? Because they're what's in, right? Whatever's in you comes out of your mouth, right? So if out of your mouth comes rage and anger and cursing and jealousy and envy and things like these, right? They come out of your mouth because they're what is in your heart, right? And so And so what Paul is saying is this, you cannot confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, unless you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, unless you believe the gospel, right? What comes out of your mouth is a function of what is present in your heart. The two are tied together. It's not that that these are separate actions, the believing and the confessing, the confessing happens because the believing has already occurred. Right? Um, If you want to be justified before God, if you want to be declared righteous, you have to believe in your heart what the Bible says about Jesus, that He is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. And therefore, He is Lord. Amen? He is Lord. Um, Verse 9 tells us this. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we are saved. We are saved. The idea is that verbal confession comes out of deep conviction we possess in our hearts that who Jesus about who Jesus is and that we believe that by the way because of the resurrection we don't believe in Jesus we don't believe in Jesus identity as lord as god as master over our lives for just any random reason we believe because he proved who he was through the resurrection from the dead Right? I've said this before, but if a guy claims to be the Son of God, don't believe him. If a guy claims to be God, dies on a cross, and three days later is raised from the dead, you better take notes. Right? There are some interesting, unusual, miraculous things about this guy that lend, lend credence to his claims. We believe based on the resurrection. It is proof positive of Jesus' identity as Lord. How do you know that? Well, verse 10 tells us how we know that we have eternal life. 
that we are justified and declared righteous by what we believe in our hearts and we are saved by what we proclaim with our lips. Again, please understand, Paul is not saying that believing and salvation and justification are all these different things. They are the same thing. He is saying the same thing in two ways and reminding you that your mouth and your heart are tied. You confess what you believe and believe what you confess. Right? Confess what you believe and you believe what you confess. And saving faith, by the way, please understand this. Saving faith is not merely spoken confession or intellectual assent. Even the demons believe in God and shudder, as James says, right? It is not merely what you say. It is not merely intellectual uh, assent to the truth of the gospel. It is a conviction held in your heart, down deep in your bones, right? That Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, that he put him to death for your sin, and brought salvation to you through him. It's a heart issue. Now, look at another verse with me here. Uh, Verse 11. It's another Old Testament quotation. Uh, This time it's from Isaiah 28, 16. This, this, by the way, is the second time in about a dozen verses that Paul has quoted this same verse, Isaiah 28, 16. That previous time was uh, chapter 9, verse 32, right? You look at chapter 9, verse 32, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul quotes it a second time here. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Uh, The reason he quotes it again is so that we don't miss the significance of Paul telling us how wide God's mercy really is. How wide is God's mercy? Wide enough for everyone who believes. Wide enough for everyone who believes. You might want to circle that word, everyone. Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Sometimes we have trouble believing that. We sometimes think that somehow God has standards like we do and we want to put some people beyond the reach of the grace of God. We want to say sometimes that, well, God doesn't save people like that. People like that don't come to Jesus, who whatever that is. Right? But what the Bible says is everyone who believes will not be put to shame. Everyone. God will not turn away from anyone, in other words, who puts their who turns to him and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. God's grace, in other words, reaches so low that no one No one can sink beneath it. You can't get, in other words, so deep into sin that God's grace cannot reach you. 
everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. God saves anyone who comes to Him in faith. And just in case that any of us are confused on this point, Paul underlines it two more times just to make doubly sure that we get it. Verse 12 and 13, Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on how many? All who call on Him. In other words, you know, and and he's writing in a specific context to people, uh, some of whom were Jews, some of whom thought that somehow God did have a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. And he's saying, no, 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 sorry. The same Lord is Lord of all people. And God freely bestows the riches of His grace on all who come to him. Now I looked into this. I looked into the Greek in the passage, and you know what? All in Greek means guess what? All in English too. <laughs> okay. All means all. You may be surprised to learn this, right? But all means all. All who turn to Christ are freely received the riches of God's grace without distinction whether they are Jews, whether they are Gentiles, all who believe in Him. And how does Paul know that? Well, he gives us another Old Testament quotation again. From, this time from the prophet Joel, right? Uh, Joel writes about the coming of the new covenant that's going to come through the Messiah. Uh, you may remember uh, parts of Joel where it talks about, I will make a new covenant in that day. And your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions, and your, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and all these things will happen, right? And the coming of the new covenant. Guess what one of the things in the new covenant is? What Paul his says here, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the prophecy of the day of the Lord and the new covenant that Paul says is being fulfilled right then. And guess what? It's being fulfilled right now, too. That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How wide is God's mercy? As wide as it needs to be for anybody who wants to to walk through the door and receive salvation if they will but put their trust in Jesus Christ, they receive salvation. And the riches of God's grace are poured out on them. Is that good news? That's good news. Right? Uh, What's the significance of these verses for us today? I want to underline at least uh, four important things here. You can write these down if you want. But hold these in your memory. First of all, this passage teaches us that no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. God has arms long enough to get to every single person who wants to turn to Him. Everyone can obtain the, the grace of God if they will believe in Christ. All kinds of people can be saved. All kinds of people are saved, by the way. 
The sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross and His power in His resurrection can save people from sin and death, and it is sufficient for everyone. And anyone that you might think is the worst of the worst of sinners is nevertheless not beyond the reach of God's grace. After all, how could they be? God saved the likes of us, right? And if He saved the likes of us, then there's nobody that's outside the kingdom. Amen? I mean, I look at myself and I go, well, evidently God's grace reaches a long way, right? God's grace reaches even farther than that. God's grace reaches wider and further and completely enough to save every kind of person. Now, one implication from that is this that if God's grace extends that far, then ours should as well. Amen? Uh, Let me rephrase that. If God offers His mercy to all kinds of people, excluding none and including every variety of sinner, and both Jews as well as Gentiles on the same basis of faith in Christ, then who are we to say as recipients of that grace that we are not going to also offer it to every kind of sinner. Sometimes I think Christians forget about the grace of God and they, they start dividing people up, and if they're, especially if they're very different from us. And so we carry the gospel, but not to everybody. But the gospel extends to people of every color, people of every race, people of every tribe, people of every nation, people of every language, every political affiliation, every kind of sexual behavior, every socioeconomic group, and every other category we might divide people in the world up over. The gospel extends to everyone. And what God has done in the gospel and to us as gospel redeemed people ought to motivate us to likewise extend mercy and grace from God to every kind of person we encounter. Amen? Another implication of this truth is this, that we must believe the gospel. We must believe the gospel. The gospel offer is not just made to people out there in the world. It is also made to people in here. I am not naive enough to assume that every person in this room is a believer in Jesus Christ. Why not? Because Jesus told us that that would not be how it is. You remember in the parable of the wheat and the tares, he said out in the field that God had planted, there would be weeds among the wheat. There would be people, in other words, who are present in the church who are not members of the church. Not just voting members of Chillicothe Bible or whatever, but people who have not believed in Jesus Christ. And if you are a person who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ for yourself personally, I beg you not to let that continue another day. 
In fact, at this very moment, I encourage you and invite you and beg you to put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive the riches of God's grace bestowed upon you, eternal life and salvation and forgiveness. Because the gospel has come to you as an offer of grace. And if you reject it, there is no other way into God's presence. You must believe the gospel. Amen? And last one. Since we, the proclamation of our mouth is tied to our hearts, if we have the gospel in our hearts, we ought to proclaim it with our mouth. Amen? I don't know if you've noticed, but the world outside these walls is not getting better. It is not getting better. The world is more dangerous now than perhaps at any time since I was a kid with nuclear missiles pointed at us from across the ocean and all kinds of people who would like to saw off your head because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and a number of those groups multiplying across the planet. And in our own country, our own culture is dying from lack of knowledge of God. And we have a white harvest mission field in front of us and all around us. And and in fact, there is no greater time in my lifetime to proclaim the gospel than right now. We are so confused and lost and sinful as a people, we don't even know it. And people are crying out for answers that we possess that we possess. We know where we come from. We know what male and female are. We know what truth is. We know what the purpose of life is. We know how to navigate this life successfully and how to enter joyfully into the next one. And people are dying for those answers. If you would but supply them by the grace of God. Amen? that we go out from here speaking grace and truth to people. This is what is true. God offers it to you by grace if you will receive it. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your magnificent, marvelous, amazing, wonderful, fantastic grace which reaches down to the lowest of, of all sinners and invites them to have new life, to come to life from the dead, and to experience joy and life in, through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would be your ambassadors of grace and truth, that there would be no one here who rejects the gospel and turns aside from Christ, but that we would all follow you passionately and, uh, and with great commitment and love because you father are the greatest treasure in all the universe and father we pray that we would be gospel people who love you because you first loved us and we pray in jesus name amen Amen.